to the Thought Lounge podcast and to the second episode of this Thought Lounge session series. In the conversation are Antonio Montalban, Sarah Brazier, Clark Kellogg, Michael Rainey, and myself. You can listen to the first episode of this series for a bio of each guest. Presenting the topic today is Professor of Mathematics at UC Berkeley, Antonio Montalban, on deciphering truth in media. Enjoy! Right, so I guess, yeah, so the question was whether uh, how social media affects uh, the way people read news and believe in the truth now, or uh, how important is truth. Uh, I was in in the UK before Brexit, uh, and I was, even before I was telling that to a bunch to my friends, um, and I, I, I don't use Facebook that much, so they all thought I was kind of attacking Facebook, and they were like, ah, no, Facebook is not that bad. Um, so right now there are some news about Facebook Instagram starting itself. Whether do we do we have an influence in in people being misinformed or do we not? Uh, and it's not Facebook; it's just the way people read news or the people that you just many people read news only from like memes or posts that their friends put, and everybody has like lives in little groups of friends where everybody thinks the same. Well, not everybody, but a like, large percentage of people live in this, in this group and you unfollow the ones that are saying the crazy things uh, and then at the end you only read the, the people that think like you and some of them are not even putting news they're putting like little posts from somebody said this that not, not somebody that checked what it was true and then people share and then this you get this, all these false news being spread um, well, I guess the main question is like, well, first, is that an issue? Which I think it is an issue. And the second is, is there a way to like turn it back around? Because uh, that one I don't see that much uh, at this point. But we have to think about that. Uh, I don't know. I have to hear your ideas. I think you've touched on something we don't really want to look at. I don't want to look at it. Because it's probably true that we have uh, come to habitually listen to the people we agree with, and uh, it allows us to stay in our bubble and gives us the capacity to not have to think too critically. And I think that's damaging to uh, probably a larger segment of our lives than we might know about. I'm conjecturing. So I know because I'm 25 and most of the news that I read is totally posted by other people on Facebook. And I think with the election, I was so convinced by all of my friends posting, like it had to be Hillary. It had to be Hillary. So like it was just a huge slap in the face for me because I just didn't see a world where Trump would win <laughs> at all because everything that I was receiving all around me was like so, so Hillary. Trump was just a big joke and I still think that I'm in shock about it. Um, and like I think that part of the problem is Facebook's algorithm, right? If one of your friends likes something on Facebook, then you're more likely to see it and uh, Facebook figure out, figure out what you like based on your age, your gender, uh, who you're friends with. I used to do social media marketing for a nonprofit, so I would. That's one thing that I actually did read up on that wasn't also on my Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And, uh, and then there was like this big debate because Twitter was thinking about doing something similar. And, and everyone was like, no, 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 we have to keep Twitter. It shouldn't be based off of the kinds of tweets you respond to and like. It should just be in real time. Um, and so, like, if, if, uh, if Facebook, like, that's one thing that Facebook can do. It can go back to being a, uh, a real-time um, wall, the feed, instead of a what you want to hear. It's just what's being said. But even then, I think we're so inundated with information um, that it's really hard to figure out what news sources to trust and um, what words uh, are true. Um, and uh, I come from a really conservative Republican family. My dad voted for Trump. So um, like uh, truth growing up in my house was very different than truth being a young woman living in the Bay Area and being surrounded by I'm an actor, being surrounded by lots of incredibly liberal thinking. Um, but both, I think both are like here and here. I'm talking, <laughs> but like, the, like we, there's no intersection right now. And I don't know how social media is going to create intersectionality um, unless they co- totally revamp what they're doing. It's funny that you bring this up because um, a lot of people in my research group, it's called the reasoning group, uh, where we look at sort of higher level cognition about thinking, problem solving and such, um, are upset about um, the election. And so I came up with a list of how if only one of these things had flipped the other way, uh, we would have a different president-elect right now. And one of them, uh, maybe I'll just read, uh, because I sort of wrote this down quasi-cathartically, one is that the internet has allowed, and even pushed via algorithms and social networking, individuals to self-silo in terms of the information they receive. I've seen this personally in both liberals and conservatives, but the data suggests that the siloing is greater among conservatives. That is, that they have fewer independent journalistic sources than liberals do. Also, conservative bots, for instance, Twitter bots, according to recent analysis, shaped opinion more blatantly than have liberal bots, exacerbating the sort of societal polarization. Further, Fox News passed along false stories about the FBI and and Clinton. Another false story that was spread on Facebook about the Pope endorsing Trump got about a million shares. So I think these are really timely questions you've asked. Uh, right, so putting these things uh, a bit together, so you're saying this, because one thing is Facebook doing this thing of, okay, I want to show you the things you want to see, because it's their business, that they want you to enjoy Facebook. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not Facebook, maybe the next uh, media, social media page is going to be doing the same. But even if they didn't do that, still, most of the people I hang out with are liberals here. And most of the people that are my friends in Facebook that post stuff uh, are liberals. So even in that case, it would still be quite uh, quite biased. Maybe not as much as it is now. Um, and so, so maybe the issue of like we don't want we don't want to see it. That's also a, a very important issue. Um, I was struck by the sort of I'll reverse logic this, which was my path to to today. Since so many people voted for each of the candidates, but in this case for Mr. Trump, there must be a reality that they are living in that makes that appealing. Because you don't, we are basically not capricious, I think, about who we vote for. We base it on something. I, like you, live in the bubble, 
and find that I'm quite isolated by that. So there is a, there are a lot of people who are feeling the pain, the fear, um, that would motivate them to vote for uh, Mr. Trump. So what must that be like? Because it's real. And that's, that was, for me, a big realization around this election, is I hadn't been seriously taking what those lives are like. I had a thought on this, is that, um, yeah, you know, we don't get to see those other perspectives. And it's a, like, coming back to what you said, this is a topic that people don't want to touch. Um, and the tough thing is, is to consider that other person. And, you know, we think like, yeah, you know, the pain that they feel, the fear that, the, that they feel to motivate it, the, the, the <laughs> desire not to change. But there's also for them, you know, we have to be able to consider that these people come from a place of joy as well. Um, you know, the joy that they feel that would make them vote for Trump. As crazy as that sounds to people in our bubble. Um, and the, the really tough thing is for us, for us to really know them, what we need is we need three Trump supporters in this room. And we need to be able to talk to them and have that conversation with as much respect as we would have for somebody who blatantly votes for Hillary. And to sort of come back to the social media aspect, I feel as if this is something that, uh, and I will quote a PhD here, there's this woman named Sherry Turkle who wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation um, brings up that she, she mentions the transactionality of social media. The idea is that even though I might follow all of the all of the um, Trump supporters in the world and, and all of the all of the people who I think are bigoted, prejudiced, wrong, not great leaders, whatever, that it's really easy for me to dismiss messages. Messages are transactional. Like the message that they give me there doesn't allow for the conversation. The conversation that it needs for me to see the hurt in your eyes when I tell you that like, hey, that really hurt me. Like the fact that you told me that Mexicans are rapists is, um, you know, when somebody sees that in my face, then that will uh, possibly change them. Um, so it decreases empathy, and you know, just a fact from or a statistic is in the past 20 years uh, in colleges, this was a survey done among colleges, like 40% or empathy has gone down 40% um, across markers of 72 different surveys among college students in the past 20 years, but most of it in the last 10, and that these researchers made a direct link to new digital communications. These are just a bunch of thoughts I had. See, I think that uh, these are kind of connected because uh, the different channels of information we can avail ourselves of, I think this uh, allowing this siloing is in stark contrast to the way our society used to be when we had fewer channels, where maybe empathy was higher, and before this uh, babble, this Tower of Babel uh, was generated. So I'm old enough to remember a time in which we had three nightly news, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And people's view of the world were much more coherent because you couldn't silo yourself into like the group that thinks that the earth is flat <laughs> or people who think that uh, the, the trade towers, the world trade towers were shot down, you know, were, were brought down by the CIA or things like that. That there was a coherence because you could sort of uh, choose information that was a little bit more coherent with the rest of your citizens, you were less likely to you know, get into these shouting matches because we had a more coherent view. Now, maybe it was a little more biased because of that coherence toward you know, liberal or not, 
but I think it's in stark contrast. And I do know people, like Sarah mentioned, who were planning to vote for Trump, did vote for Trump. I spent a, a long and somewhat painful uh, airline trip sitting next to a fellow who didn't accept that global warming was occurring. And we had a really good, vigorous discussion about it. I think I made some good inroads, but I think it's important, you know, like you're saying, that we go out there and we engage these people who have different views. There used to be something in the United States called the Fairness Doctrine, which stipulated that both sides of an issue would be fairly broadcast on those nightly news um, uh, uh, shows. And, and I, while I think it was susceptible to uh, manipulation, it feels like we have lost the center of conversation. So there is still some of that in things that I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it's fair that both sides should be at the same time, but some sometimes one side is so crazy that you're like, really, should it be fair? Uh, I don't know. It's a question that is. Uh, and the other the other thing I wanted to say about um, what you're saying about um, these things that are spread that are false, because when when you had the news like, like you're saying. Even though maybe some of them were a bit biased, they did a minimal, or maybe more than a minimal, fact check before they put something on TV. They still do that, at least some fact check. Uh, in social media, there is no fact checking at all. And like the one about the pop, like I saw that one, people posting that the pop was waiting for Trump. And I think there's some pseudo balance there also. Like, you know, even though the vast majority of everyone related to biology, except that um, biological evolution is occurring. Uh, you know, the journalists will scrounge the one person in the community who's got some biological credential at all that says uh, biological evolution is not occurring. And by that light, the sort of equal balance thing could mean you could have like a gravity and anti-gravity expert debating, you know, gravity. That was Antonio Montalban, Sarah Brazier, Clark Kellogg, Michael Rainey, and myself on Deciphering Truth in Media. Presenting the topic today was Professor of Mathematics at UC Berkeley, Antonio Montalban. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thought Lounge podcast. Our mission is to foster the practice of intentional, in-person dialogue within ourselves and our communities, in which we suspend initial judgment, practice equity of voice, listen to each person as if they're the most important person in the world, speak authentically, and recognize that creative conflict is good. For more information, visit thoughtlounge.org. And until next time, Good thinking always.